This is Dial a Dev, a podcast where I interview developers from all different backgrounds about how they got to where they are, and I'll ask them to share some words of wisdom and maybe even some fun stories. I'm Linda, and on this episode, we're talking to Francis, an engineer at Byteboard, who is a prominent voice in the Latinx and tech community. After obtaining both a bachelor's and a master's degree in CS, and then attending a coding boot camp, she worked as a software engineer at Slack and also started becoming very active in the community. She started mentoring, speaking, and also becoming the executive director at Tequeria, a nonprofit that serves the largest global community of Latinx professionals in the tech industry. Listen to her story of how she got into CS, what her experience has been like as a Latinx person in the tech industry, and also how we can all better embody strong allyship for underrepresented folks in this space. It's a pleasure to introduce Francis. My name is Francis. I am going to be a software engineer at Byteboard, which is a startup focused on disrupting the technical interview process to be more equitable. I used to be a software engineer at Slack for four years, where I was specializing in UI development and lead generation on the customer acquisition team. I became a software engineer through both the traditional and non-traditional route of attending a boot camp and getting a CS degree. Before that, I was a huge advocate for for uh, nonprofits and frequently volunteer outside of work at different nonprofits focused on diversity in tech, both from a gender equity and racial equity lens. Awesome. I'm really excited to do this interview with you and I know you've had a lot going on. So let's start with how it all got started. Were you always interested in tech? Yeah, for sure. I did not find myself interested in tech until my senior year of high school. I, at the time, was pretty much set on majoring in pre-med or biology. I was set on being a surgeon, like in Grey's Anatomy or something. My parents had raised me to really like care about education. They came here um, to the States from Peru when they were in their early 20s, worked really hard very kind of the quintessential immigrant story. And being a child of immigrants, obviously I wanted to make them proud and work hard to sort of achieve that American dream like they had. And I just found myself kind of having like this sort of quote unquote high school crisis. And I was thinking, you know, I have to have it all figured out now because I'm going off to college. Everyone's asking me what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And I'm supposed to have it all figured out. Yeah. And so you ended up going a different route from surgery. Why Why is that? And what changed your mind and made you think, huh, I could do CS instead? It takes a lot of patience, a lot of time, a lot of school. I already didn't like school very much, even though I was pretty good at it. I felt like the education system was um, not challenging me like I wanted to. And there were just a lot of flaws in the content. I decided to look at the only other thing that remotely interested me, and that was computer games. My dad had given me computer games when I was really young to teach me math and science. He really likes math. I really enjoyed those games. And so I looked into that and I realized that there was this whole field that I had no real like connection to. I didn't know anybody in this field. I didn't have any relatives in this field, but I started just taking programming classes online and I started talking to different people about it and just trying to gauge like what I could sort of learn from others. There wasn't a lot uh, within my network at the time, but basically after a year of um, learning how to program on my own for free after school at the library, I didn't have my own laptop at the time. And I, I just decided right then and there to major in computer science. That's crazy because high school already takes 
such a long time because you're in classes and you're doing extracurriculars. So how did you find the time to take coding classes? Was it like after school or what was that like? Yeah, exactly. It would be at the library after school or if I had a free block. This was my entire senior year of high school, like from the beginning to the end. And obviously in the middle of it, I had already decided, okay, I want to major in CS. So I kind of changed my plans already and struggled with that a bit. But overall, it worked out. I'm really glad that I sort of took that initiative on myself. It wasn't anyone telling me like, hey, this is a good idea or this will make you really successful um, or this will make you a lot of money. Um, I think I've been told over and over again, like good advice that if you follow your passion, you know, money and title and all these other things will follow. And that that has been the case so far. And I can honestly say that computer science or just software engineering in general is something I really enjoy. Wow, yeah, that's that's super admirable. And time is really limited nowadays, but it sounds like you really maximized your time and found something that you really enjoy doing. So what happened after that? What did you do after high school? I got rejected by pretty much every school I applied to because I had no CS experience. But ultimately, I ended up getting um, an offer from a study abroad program and I, I, I went for it, majored in computer science, then decided to do a boot camp. But essentially, there was this moment in high school where I realized that I wasn't on a path that was going to make me happy. And I tried this thing out. I didn't know if it would work out or not, but it did. And I haven't looked back since. Oh, that's interesting that you did a study abroad program. Can you talk about what that was like and why you picked something more international? Yeah, so I had lived in Norfolk, Virginia my whole life. I had been able to travel by volunteering for different organizations, but I hadn't really lived anywhere else up until that point. So I was kind of feeling like, oh, you know, I want to explore and go out there and see the world. So I studied abroad in Germany for a semester, and that was the Jakobs University of Bremen. It was an amazing experience. It was very international. So the student body came from almost 100 different countries, I think. I just learned a lot from that experience. I majored in computer science uh, while I I was studying abroad there and then came back, studied at Hampton University on a merit scholarship, which is a university close to my home, graduated early from there and then did my grad degree at Cornell Tech in New York for my master's in computer science. It's a pretty unique experience to have gotten two CS degrees, which is, you know, the more traditional route and then to also have done a boot camp. So they're probably pretty different. What do you think about boot camps versus your university experience? I honestly don't think you need a master's to be successful in this industry, like at all. I would argue you don't need a bachelor's either. Uh, It's helpful, of course, like with any higher education, but it's definitely not a hard requirement. That that's definitely something I've taken away sort of from that experience. But I I did enjoy like studying computer science, like the traditional route and then the non-traditional route as well. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So what did you do to build and then improve your skills to become a successful engineer? 
with anything that you're kind of breaking into. So if you're trying to break into the, into the tech industry, like I was trying to do that after I graduated high school, like I was very new to it all. My sort of take on it was just complete immersion. From that, I, I tried out a bunch of different things, hackathons, blogging, creating my own website, mentorship, teaching, taking classes online. Like I just kind of explored all these different ways of learning and then sort of what clicked for me. I started freelancing pretty early on. So just like helping people set up their basic websites for their business and then getting paid for that. I charged like barely anything, but I was learning and I was kind of winging it a lot of the time, but kind of fake it till you make it. And I just started building more confidence in my skills until I felt like, okay, I feel really confident to apply to like these really well-known companies. All to say, yeah, I did take a bootcamp course. I took a lot of online courses. I, I really supplemented my sort of traditional education with a lot of non-traditional methods that were out there. I don't think there's one set way to success in this industry at all. There's just so many different paths that you can take that are going to lead you to like a good place. Yeah, so you did a lot of things and had a really good mix of experiences. Which do you think was your favorite? I think I narrowed it down by like what I definitely didn't enjoy. So I didn't enjoy watching videos. I didn't enjoy hackathons. There was so much pressure. I did really enjoy mentoring other people. I had like that sense of validation of like, oh, wow, I know this topic well enough that I can actually teach someone else pretty well. And that also helped me build my communication skills, which were pretty, I think, poor at the start of my career. And I quickly learned that software engineering is not just about how much code you're pumping out at the end of the day, how many PRs you're opening, but also like how you're communicating with your coworkers, how you're empowering other people. Yeah, every time I do one of these podcast interviews, a common takeaway I get really is that communication skills really matter a lot. And people who haven't worked in industry yet might not see it. And I, cer I certainly didn't as a student, but I've had enough experience now where I'm like, yeah, you can't really get by with just your tech chops. It's a big part of it, but so is communication. So you talked a bit about mentorship. What were some of your takeaways from being a mentor? I really grew from kind of being like the introverted person who thought that the technical aptitude was all that mattered when it came to success as a software engineer to realizing that there's so much more to that identity that I really underestimated. And just, I would say mentorship and anything that to deal with like leadership and soft skills, having crucial conversations with a coworker about something uncomfortable, you know, and it can be technical related, like someone copying your code and not giving you credit or just taking an idea and not giving you credit, learning how to do that effectively. I always enjoyed sort of learning how to communicate better because that was just not something I was really good at early on. Yeah. So it seems like being a mentor was really fulfilling for you. So what about the other side, what about being a mentee? Were there any mentors that really stood out to you? I don't know. I'm, I'm very grateful that I've had a ton of people that I've looked up to throughout my career at Slack and then outside of work. I can name one that comes top of mind every time I hear this question. Uh, she was my first manager at Slack and then she was promoted to director. Her name is Arquay Harris. She's currently a VP of engineering at Webflow. She had such a way of giving me feedback that I really needed to hear, but was hard to hear. It was 
not, you know, easy feedback to hear, but she had a way of giving it that felt like it was clear that she cared about my growth and she wanted to see me succeed. And just kind of the way that she addressed that uh, was so well done. I, I just feel like I learned a lot from her from those conversations. She's also a Black woman. And it was the first time I had been reporting to a white man um, in my career. So there was just that aspect as well, just being a woman of color in this industry and learning from her experiences. That does sound really impactful. Learning from another woman of color who has had a wealth of experience to share can really offer a valuable perspective that's hard to come by. And this is a good segue into the next question, actually, which is a lot of people come to a crossroads in their career where they aren't sure if they want to assume more of a managerial role or if they want to continue being an IC. And obviously, there's benefits to both. But what do you see yourself doing and what considerations would contribute to that decision? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I'm still definitely an IC, although I'm obviously on the senior side now. But I think you can be a leader as a staff engineer or like a principal IC as well. There's those paths, right? And I've seen many times someone performing really well in their individual contributor role and they get promoted to a management position. They realize like those two positions are really different from each other and they go back to doing what they enjoy, which is really kind of the technical execution, technical specification, like engineering trade-offs, thinking about those things versus sort of growing other people. There's a lot of responsibility as a manager, it's about feeling responsible for the growth of somebody's career. Like that's in your hands now. I definitely want to explore that path and see if like I could do that for the rest of my career. Or if, you know, I want to stay in IC because you can do either one. You can switch back and forth. Yeah. Having a large portion of someone else's career path in your hands can be a lot of pressure. So it's, as you said, really nice to have the flexibility to try it out and see if you like it. So On a related note, you've been in the industry for a while. What was your experience with doing technical interviews? Yeah, I love this question. Um, When I was applying to companies a while back, you know, a lot of interviews involve data structures and algorithms. And that's not a huge deal for me. Like I studied that. Um, I don't see why we should do that. I certainly have never had to use these algorithms in my day-to-day work as a front-end engineer. You can take the analogy of like someone assessing a cook or a chef at a restaurant and telling the chef to kind of read out some ingredients and coming in to do that instead of really cooking, you know, and then assessing that result. And Slack was one of the few companies that did not use data structure and algorithms to assess me as an engineer. They used a take-home project. And again, there are pros and cons to any approach, but I prefer the take-home project because there's no performance anxiety that I'm experiencing with the real-time nature of it. It's like in my own time, in my own space. I'm using my own environment that I'm used to, um, and I'm turning in real results and someone's assessing it. I did extremely well on that take-home project. I had one of the highest scores. And that's how... Uh, I passed the technical screen for Slack. That's so cool that you got one of the highest scores. Good for you. Um, yeah, okay, so that that was Slack. And then how did you find and uh, start the process to interview for Byteboard? Um, there's a GitHub repo that was started by a previous Netflix engineer. It's called Hiring Without Whiteboards. It has over 25,000 stars on GitHub. So a lot of people resonate, I think, with this alternative approach 
And so I took a step back. I thought about, okay, I'm, I'm very passionate about diversity in tech. Who's working on that, like from a technical perspective? Like, And I saw on LinkedIn, on my previous manager, Arquay, she was tagged in a LinkedIn post about this startup called Byteboard. And I had heard of them. They're the first startup to spin out of Google. And I was like, I'm really glad someone's working on this because the technical interview process could really use some work. So for the first time in my career, I actually cold emailed a company and I was like, I want a job. It was really interesting because I'm so used to sort of like just replying to recruiting emails and following up. And it was really valuable for me to sort of take a step back and, and think about, okay, what is it that I'm passionate about? And it worked out. I got um, offer with them less than a month after I emailed them. And so while I did get two other offers from companies that had reached out to me initially, I ultimately went with the one that I was initially interested in. And I think I'm going to learn from that approach and sort of take that moving forward as, as a means to understand that I should be the one in charge of like my own job search process. And I feel like this job at Byteboard really aligns with like my passion for software engineering, but also racial equity in tech. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Sounds like it's right up your alley. And so for people who aren't that familiar with the technical interviewing process, can you elaborate on the last part? Disproportionately, the studies have shown that um, technical interviewing women and underrepresented folks suffer from more performance anxiety and just uh, report not wanting to follow up or be a part of the interview moving forward if they have an initial bad experience. I really appreciate you bringing that up because I think a lot of people don't see that part of it. Um, and I'm curious, how do you think the tech industry is doing as a whole to foster diversity and inclusion? And also, what about the Latinx community specifically? There was numbers published about 2021 funding and how early stage seed round startups with Latinx founders, the funding has actually decreased for them. So U.S.-based Latinx founders have basically received less funding at the earliest stages than ever before. I definitely think that there is a long ways to go. The Latinx population is the largest minority group in this country and the largest non-white voting group. And it's projected we're going to be one third of the U.S. by 2060. One third. And we're already like a good portion. It's the largest tech market. Like we have that here in the U.S. And then we have this population that is also overrepresented like in the state of California, but there's just no connection there. Black and Latinx folks and indigenous folks have been historically underrepresented, even though demographically, like the numbers don't align. So I would say like, we're definitely not fairly represented in this sector. And I think it's due to us just not being set up for success throughout the leaky tech pipelines. Definitely. Those stats are crazy. And for those of us who don't know, what do you mean by the leaky tech pipeline? Can you tell us more about that? This, this leaky tech pipeline is this concept that from K to 12, all the way to entrepreneurship, there are sort of gateways or places where people just fall off. So for me, I struggled with my studies and I could have dropped out or in K to 12, I could have been exposed to computer science earlier, but I wasn't. So then I had to take the initiative myself. Many people don't get that opportunity until much later, or they just don't know to take that initiative themselves, uh, or they don't have enough information. Entrepreneurship, like that's limited funding. In the workplace, if you're treated unfairly, maybe you'll move to something else. 
I think there is a lot of room to grow ultimately. Like we're represented in the single digits at the IC level, at the leadership level, it's even worse. It's super obvious that we're a burgeoning population. Why can't this huge population that is continuing to grow and it's inevitable that it's going to be more and more culturally and socioeconomically relevant to just U.S. culture in general, why are we not tapping into like one of the most powerful and like relevant industries right now, most impactful industries, an industry where intergenerational wealth can be created just through like a couple of years? Yeah, I've heard anecdotes of similar things happening and exposure representation is so important in those incidents. So what are some ways that we could bridge those gaps and kind of patch up the leaky tech pipeline issue? If I had kind of a magic wand, I'd just first make uh, computer science a mandatory subject for everybody, because that would at least kind of make that level playing field at the earliest stages possible and everyone will get exposure and then from there make more changes at the different sort of stages like in the workplace and so on and so within the workplace that's the work I've done and have still continued to do through volunteering at Tequeria which is a nonprofit that serves the largest community of Latinx professionals in tech and so yeah it's basically a community because at the end of the day you know community if you can't find that at work hopefully you can find it outside of work And when you're feeling like, you know, you're the only person at your workplace who comes from the background you come from and, you know, wants to get that validation, right, that you're you can be successful because there's just so many others in your community that have become successful. So that I think that's the crux of it for Thicketia. That's why I really love that community. Before I was in that community, I was thinking, oh, man, this really sucks. I'm the only Latina in all my classes in my workplace, you know, where is everybody? And then I joined and at the time there were like 3000 people in the Slack community. I was like, oh, okay, that's a lot of people. And it's really not a lot of people like in the grand scheme of things, but it felt like a lot of people to me. And I was like, okay, I don't need to worry about this. Like I can see that there's a ton of people like me who are succeeding and thriving. Like, let me just focus on doing that myself. I don't need to worry about that anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure getting that validation is really major. And so let's say someone is listening to your story and they really want to know on an individual level what they can do to kind of help bridge that gap on a more micro individual level. I've gotten that question a lot. Um, and it's kind of like the ally question, right? Like as an ally, what can I do to support you? Like fundamentally, that's how I interpret that question. I get that question. I'm like, hmm, I kind of wonder how to answer it. I could talk on and on about like, okay, you can implement apprenticeships. You can make sure to have an employee resource group. You can make sure to have your job descriptions be inclusive. You can, you know, organize all of these different things for relevant dates and whatnot that are important to the community. You can hire more of us, et cetera. But I think fundamentally, it is about educating yourself. So I think back to sort of the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of it was about educating yourself as to like why we are where we are um, when it comes to the racial equity gap in police enforcement. That can kind of be related to this racial equity gap for Black and Latinx folks, right? To answer that question, I'd say like look into the history of why we are where we are in the tech industry, why it is not as diverse as it could be. A lot of it comes down to social capital. 
you know, like there's a group of folks who are having these really powerful networks and then whoever can tap into that network is kind of part of that next wave of really influential companies. And we don't have that. The Latinx population doesn't have that social capital because we haven't cultivated it. And there's not enough of us that have kind of paid it forward to others yet, right? Because uh, we just haven't been at that, the top of the top yet. And we haven't reached there. So for me, it's about getting folks to the top of the top first so that we can then support those from the bottom and like supporting obviously your colleagues. And that can look really simple as like, if someone is performing well and you see that, just giving them kind of that kudos and advocating for other people who may not be advocating for themselves because that's very common. So that's my take on it. Right. It can sometimes feel uncomfortable or even in some cases unsafe to advocate for yourself in a space where you're really underrepresented. So can you talk a bit more about proactive advocacy? I used to have a podcast called Tech Queens, and it was uh, for women of color um, in tech to sort of talk about their experiences. And the, the very interesting sort of pattern that I found right away was that there was a lack of confidence. And most of the time they, they talked about how they've gotten over that. But I know that that sort of thing comes and goes. I still face it like in my career sometimes where I have a lack of confidence to really kind of say or share what I'm feeling or kind of do something risky um, because I'm so afraid of failing because I don't want folks to be like, oh, of course, you know, it didn't work out because like she's not your quintessential engineer. It's fine. We'll help her out. Like, I don't want to be in that position. So with that, like underconfidence, basically it means like people aren't advocating for themselves. And so I think if you really want to be an ally, you want to get to the point where you feel comfortable advocating for people who are not actively doing that themselves. Uh, and that is, I think, the core of allyship is that you're not asking people, hey, should I advocate for you? You are taking that initiative and advocating for them. I think you said something really eye-opening there that you felt like you were essentially representing an underrepresented minority group, which could feel like a lot of pressure on the individual level. And you don't want to feed any stereotypes, whether or not people are actually thinking them or not. And that does go, that does go to show just how important it is to advocate for underrepresented groups. And before we end today, I wanted to leave some time for you to get some plugs out there for any of the organizations that you're working with, because I really appreciate your time and I would love to, you know, bring about more awareness. Yeah, I mean, I, well, first off, I want to say thank you to you. I really appreciate what you're doing. I know it's a ton of work, like making a podcast, editing it, publishing it, marketing, et cetera, all the little logistical things. Um, and I appreciate like your efforts to sort of bring another perspective um, into this and talk about like, like bring to light that like there's so many different ways to succeed in this industry because there is. Um, and it doesn't matter where you come from or what your background is, um, any, any of that, it doesn't matter. Like you can be successful and thrive. Um, in terms of plugs, I will say Byboard is hiring. So if you are interested in dismantling the technical interview process, if you had such a crappy time yourself, like I have with the traditional technical interview process, and you think that it can be better, 
you think that I could be more equitable, um, please feel free to DM me on LinkedIn or email me. Um, my email is hello at franciscornell.com. And then the Quería is also hiring. Um, so if you identify as Latinx in tech or not, you can always join our community. Allies are welcome. Anyone can join for free. Uh, and we're hiring across the board in different roles. I believe that's gonna be published soon, but basically we're just like in a growth spurt. I, I volunteer with Tequeria as a tech team volunteer. So like maintaining their website and doing like tech requests or IT requests. And then I also uh, advise the board from time to time. So love the work I do there. It's a great organization. It's growing a lot and there's more people that need to be hired now at this point. So if you're interested even working part-time, I know a lot of positions usually recruit part-time as well. Um, or if you just uh, want to work in the nonprofit sector more at that intersection, there's definitely opportunity there. Um, but yeah, Byteboard is hiring, Tickety is hiring. Um, and definitely feel free to message me if you're interested in either of those organizations. Great. Thanks so much for offering your time, Francis, to talk about your journey and do a deep dive into diversity and inclusion. I'm sure a lot of people out there would find this really valuable and a very eye-opening discussion. So thanks again. Thanks for listening to Dial-A-Dev. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please send them to dialadevpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.